talked about last week. And then move into some specifics underneath that. All right, so, uh, Hunter, if we can get that first slide up. So last week, these are the things that we talked about. The deity of Christ. Uh, that in, in Christianity, and, and it ties in with the fourth thing on that list, monotheism, that there's only one God. And so if we're monotheistic and we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, then Jesus is God as well because we're monotheistic. We don't believe in three gods. We believe that Jesus... The Father, the Holy Spirit, are all the same God differently expressed to humanity. Uh, and only, uh, only a true God would be able to do that anyway. So um, we find other uh, religions, other uh, even uh, religions that call themselves Christian. This is one place where biblical Christianity, traditional Christianity from the first century differs from those other beliefs. Uh, because they will say that, yes, uh, Jesus is awesome, Jesus is great, we like him, he's a great teacher, but he's either just, he's a God among others, or he's a sub-God from Jehovah God, right? But uh, as we went through all of those things last week, and I, and I showed you some uh, biblical proofs for that, the Bible teaches that Jesus is not only equal, but uh, even the people of the day, particularly the religious leaders, they came to him one time and they were going to kill him. Because in their own words, they said, we're going to kill you because you make yourself out to be God. So Jesus of himself said that he was God. And uh, they went uh, to punish him for that. So there's first, the deity of Christ. Uh, we talked last week about salvation by grace alone. Uh, this, this idea of, that we're going to really dig into today of being born again, being saved, becoming a child of God. Uh, that we can't work for it. We can't be good enough for it. No one else can uh, get it for us. No one else can uh, uh, do it on our behalf. Uh, but what happens is that God has offered salvation to us freely as a gift if we will receive it. And it's completely dependent upon his offer of that gift. The only thing we have to do is receive it. All right? Um, and lots of scripture that we used to talk about that last week. Uh, an example that's often used is, you know, if I were to stand here and say, hey, uh, here's, here's a dollar, anybody can have it. I can stand here all day with that dollar. If nobody comes and gets it, nobody gets the benefit of the dollar. You've got to come and get it, right? So that's the only action we can take that contributes to our salvation is to receive it, to receive the gift. All right, so uh, then the third, the third one was the good news according to the Bible. The, uh, good news, another word for that is gospel. Right? The gospel means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. That uh, the gospel that we believe in, if we're going to say that we're Christians, the good news that we believe in is the gospel as presented in the Bible. Uh, nobody needs to add to it. Nobody needs to take away from it. Uh, if God is God and he's able to speak the universe into being and to hold our souls uh, in the palm of his hand for eternity and protect us, he's also able to preserve his word in such a way that we can depend on it to be the word uh, that we can learn from and understand about the gospel today. We don't need uh, extra revelations or any of that stuff to understand that, right? Okay, so that's the third one. And then the last one, monotheism, uh, meaning uh, the belief in one God. Uh, there, uh, there has to be a, su a supreme God in Christianity uh, there may be uh, other entities who are called gods, but even the Bible says that they're, they're not. They're, they're imitations. They're uh, frauds. 
there. Um, there's a word I'm looking for that I can't quite find. Uh, I'm not going to get it. Um, their imitations. But that the God of the Bible is the God. One God. Alright, so that's all going to lead us today. We've got uh, four things over the next few weeks that we're going to talk about. Um, regeneration, which we're going to talk about today. And, and these are all big words, but we'll, we'll boil them down. Regeneration. Next week, justification. The week after that, the word sanctification. This is not one that we use a lot, but it's critical to understanding uh, our life in Christ. And then the last one, glorification. Now, to, to, I'll boil those down. But justification means uh, being made right with God. We've used this example before. Uh, Jason is teaching next week. He may use it as well. Um, if, if I'm stealing it, sorry, buddy. Um, you know, when you have a Word document or a text document, and you got that right-hand side where everything's all jagged and you want it to look neat, and so you, you mark your text and you say what? Justified. And it brings everything into perfect order on both sides of your document. Same word, justification. It's being brought into perfect order with God. Uh, then after that, sanctification is the process of becoming who we are supposed to be as Christians. Of God taking the things of our lives and, and making them, uh, growing us into those who reflect the person, the nature, the character of God himself. And then the last one, glorification, really is talking about heaven, the future. Um, both the kingdom of heaven on earth, and then that, how it connects to the kingdom of heaven for eternity. All right, so those are three things that are coming up. But today we're going to talk about regeneration. So, uh, let's jump to my next slide there, Tyler. Or Tyler, yeah, Hunter. So, uh, other words for regeneration might be new creation, um, rebirth. We're going to look at some scripture here in a, in a moment that, that talks about both of these ideas. But the principle is that if we say that we have become a Christian or I am a Christian, there, there has to be some moment in time where I have made a decision to be a follower of Christ as opposed to ultimately a follower of myself. Right? I'm going to be a follower of Christ and in that moment, what we believe as Christians is that God does a supernatural work in the person that recreates them as a child of God. The Bible describes people who, who don't follow Christ sometimes as, as child, uh, children of perdition, which means um, of, of that which is uh, either carnal or evil, uh, children of sin, those who are, who are just willfully disobedient. Right? So uh, that's the condition that's used to describe humanity apart from God. But if we're now joining with God, He does a supernatural work within us that recreates us, rebirths us as a child of God. Um, one way that we might think of that uh, is this next slide. You see these better than we did last week? Yeah? yeah. Right? Thank you. All right. All right. So regeneration. The spiritual change in the heart of a person brought about by the presence of the Holy Spirit. A sinful nature is changed so that he or she can respond to God in faith and live in accordance with His will. This regeneration affects all of the nature of this person. So, 
you may identify with this as, as a believer, as a follower of Christ. You go, wow, yeah. Every area of my life has been impacted by my decision to become a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. So it affects all the nature of this person. Changing their disposition, bringing understanding to their mind, releasing the will from sinful slavery, and restoring them to connection with God. Now one of the reasons that we wanted to take on this series and really dig into these, because these are, I mean this is like doctrine and theology, right? These are down into the, the details of what we believe as Christians. One of the reasons we wanted to do this is because I think it's important for you and for me to look at some of these things and go, is that me? I say I'm a Christian, but is that me? Does that describe the person I'm becoming? Does that describe any kind of change that's happened in me? Because here's the thing, if we're going to talk about regeneration, if we're going to say that uh, and we're going to look at the words of Christ here in just a moment where he says, he says this is what's happening, this new birth. If this is really what's happening, if I'm being born again, and yet I look at myself and I am still the same person I always was, you have to ask yourself the question, guys, did I get born again? If I'm still uh, entertaining all of the sinful things that I used to entertain, if I'm still... This, I love this one word, changes their disposition. Meaning, uh, what do we see? The, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit here, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks to us about the fruit of the Spirit uh, are things like patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? So if I say I'm a Christian, and at the time that I think I became a Christian, I was a person who was not patient, who was not kind, uh, who did not have self-control, who was not loving. The Bible says the fruit of the presence of the Spirit living with you is that you will become those things. And so if I look at my life today and say, wow, I became a Christian 10 years ago and I'm still a jerk, there's a problem, right? It would, it would do well to, to do a little self-analysis. What did I really follow? What did I really want? Uh, and part of this problem comes because in evangelical Christianity, we have turned the idea of salvation into a get-out-of-hell card instead of into change-my-life event. Uh, Jason uses this, um, I hope I'm not stealing this from next week, but you've used it before, so it's fair game. Uh, Jason, Jason uses this um, analogy, and the first time he used it, I thought it was so perfect, it was so perfect. We had just been to California. Uh, with a couple of friends for a pastor's conference, and we'd gone to Universal Studios. Had a great uh, time that day. At least most of us did. Jason wasn't feeling very good that day, but um, <laughs> we uh, we talked about it later. And he said, you know, he said I was thinking about this whole this whole thing of of salvation and um, kind of the the parachute version of salvation, which is you know save me, but don't change me. Um, People sitting in church and they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I made a decision. I walked an aisle. I got saved. But I'm still doing, thinking, speaking, living the same way I always did. There's no real difference. But I got saved and I'm not going to hell. He said it's kind of like people who, who, who think that you, you can go to Universal Studios and you buy your ticket. And then you sort of just stand there at the gate. And you never go in. 
you never experience any rides, you never go to any displays, you never go on the Batbot tour and, and see King Kong and all these kind of things. And then you go, yeah, man, I've been to Universal Studios. Have you, have you really? I mean, you went there, but did you experience Universal Studios? And we've kind of, in modern Christianity, we've, we've sort of changed the whole foundation of what it means to be a Christian into that same kind of a picture. Instead of this, where the entire disposition of the person has changed, their sinful nation, nature is transformed into a nature that wants to pursue holiness. Um, they're no longer a slave to the things that are ruining and wrecking and destroying their lives and the lives of the people around them. But instead, they have now become followers of Jesus Christ and living their lives as he would if he was in their place. And we've changed that into a punch my ticket so that I don't go to hell, but I'm really not going to go inside Christianity and experience anything. And I would submit to you that just like I would say to the person at Universal Studios, I'd say, you haven't been to Universal Studios. I would caution you, you do not have a get out, a get out of hell card. Now we're gonna dig that out a little bit further here in a minute. But I want you to think about that. Regeneration is something new. Now one of the things that the Bible talks about on our next slide is this. Jesus said, says it this way, and you, you've maybe heard this before. You, you're born again. Uh, you might have people, uh, way back when we had a famous politician who sort of uh, made a big splash. His name was Jimmy Carter, one of our presidents. He made a big splash when he said in an interview, I'm born again. And it comes from this passage. Uh, this is from the book of John, chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And he's referring to miracles that Jesus had performed. And as a religious leader, he said, look, we understand that this has to be the power of God that you're doing this, because no, no mere person could do this. And Jesus answered and said, uh, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus says these words, and Nicodemus goes, what? What? What are you talking about? Born again? It's like, I'm a 50-year-old man. How am I supposed to go back to my mother's womb and be born again? What does this even mean? What are you talking about, Jesus? This doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says in verse 5, Truly, truly, when you see this in the scriptures, truly, 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 the old, some of the old ones are verily, verily. Um, it means pay attention. <laughs> this, is, this is super important. Truly, truly. I say, uh, blah, blah, blah. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now let me just spell one thing here, uh, just so that there's no confusion. There are some who teach that this verse, whoa, my screen in the back just disappeared. There it came. Um, there are some who teach that because Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, that this teaches that you have to be baptized to be saved. But that's what it means. It is not, and I'll prove it here in just a second. Um, because the way Jesus answers the rest of the question, he verifies this. Um, Jesus is saying here, listen, here's the bottom line. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, there's two requirements. The first is, you've got to be born. 
through the waters. What do we call the, the amniotic sac, right? The bag of water, right? That's what he's saying. You have to first be born. You've got to be a person. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born. And then you've got to be born again of the spirit. You have to be born of water first and of spirit second. And you say, well, how do you know that's really what he's saying? Because he, he, he verifies it in the next verse. He says, he, he puts the exclamation point on it. That which is born of the flesh, go back. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's water. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Right? So he's telling us, he's telling each one of us, if you're living, breathing, resuscitating right now, you can be born again. But what you have to do is you have to be willing to have your spirit be reborn and regenerated. And that's where that phrase born again comes from. All right, let's go to the next one. So new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, read it with me. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There's an important principle in here. There's a couple of things. One, it says that uh, he's acknowledging that one, which is Jesus, has died for everyone else. That's that thing that we talked about last week where our sin separates us from God. And the, the remedy for that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so he's acknowledging that here, that one has died for all. And then he says, which means that all have died. And what he's saying is that if, if it was necessary for one, God himself, to, to die for everyone else, to pay that penalty and to reconnect us to God, it means that everyone else is in need of that remedy. All have died. Everybody needs it. But don't miss this part. He says, so if you believe that, he says that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is one of those clues that we get that if we're going to say that we're a Christian, if we're going to receive that gift and say that we want God to save us through the, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he says, if we do that, what we're saying is that we're not going to live for ourselves, but we're going to live for him. And so again, if you look at the survey of your own life and you go, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but I'm living for myself, I'm saying, you better check it out, man. Because that's not what the Bible says happens to those who believe. They live for him. So he goes on, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What he's saying is, uh, don't be people who look at one another and just see the person. Don't look on their outward appearance and don't see them as just uh, skin and bones, but look at them and see them as a spiritual, eternally functioning being. He says, you know, one time we thought Jesus was just this guy. We thought he was a little crazy. We thought he was a little, uh, uh, a little nutty with the things that he was saying. I mean, it was just, it was just Jesus from, from the next town over, right? We knew that guy when he was growing up. He says, we once thought about him that way, but now we realize, whoa, there's so much more here. And then Jesus taught us that when we look at each other, whoa, there's so much more here. Look at each other in a spiritual sense. 
He says, so look on one another. Regard him. We don't regard Jesus that way any longer. We don't regard each other as just fleshly beings. We see their spiritual being. He says, so therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So, to, so regeneration, this idea of following Christ, it is a, it's a new birth. It's a spiritual life that's born that didn't exist before. It now only exists because of the power of Christ. And it's a new creation. You, as a follower of Christ, are, are something new, something that's never existed before. John 3.16 says, um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That word begotten means first of its kind. There's no one before him. But there will be some after him, and that's the children, the sons and daughters of God. And that's what he's saying here. You become a new creation in Christ, and you are now a type, just like he was. You are a Christian, a Christian, which means little Christ. So your life should reflect that, right? All right, let's go to the next one. So another example that's used in Scripture to underscore this principle. This is one of the good things about the Bible, by the way, is it rarely lands on one metaphor and says, just stick with that. God is trying over and over and over again to give us different ways to understand what he's saying. So Jesus talked about being born again. The writer talked about being a new creation. Here, uh, Jesus again, speaking, talks about it this way. He says, truly, truly, remember, pay attention, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So this is why we believe that those who are outside of Christ are, are walking in death. Are they dead right now? No, they're breathing. You know, heart's going. They're living their lives. But they're in danger of eternal separation from God, which is an eternal death. Romans tells us about that. It says, for all who sin fell short of the glory of God, right? And the wages of that sin, it says, is death. And it's, it's meant in two ways. One, we physically die because... Sin has infected the world and all of, all of creation and all of humanity, and it's deteriorating, right? And we deteriorate. I'm deteriorating every day. Let me tell you, my knee's telling me about it this morning. That will slip in the driveway, and it's grumpy, and it's deteriorating. We'll all die. It's the stain of sin that does that. But the second half of that is there's an eternal death as well, which is separation from God for all of eternity in a place that's uh, terrible and and torturous and without anything that even resembles the presence of God. Right? But if you believe him, you can pass from death to life. We see this uh, in, a, in scripture and other examples as well, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, symbolic name changes. Uh, let's go to that next one. So we see the character Abram. God renames him to Abraham, and those are the meanings of his name. Abram meant high father to Abraham, father of multitudes. It's a, it's a symbolic gesture of being moved from death to life, of being one who, who was maybe even just a good person, but now to one who's devoted to God and the purposes of God and chosen by God and, and moving forward in their life with God. Uh, his wife Sarah, Sarai to Sarah, from my princess. Look, even... 5,000 years ago, dads called their daughters princess. How about that? Huh? My princess, too, mother of nations. 
because Abraham and Sarah were going to be, right? There we go. Uh, more than the grains of the sand. So uh, then we see also the story of Jacob. Jacob and Esau. It's interesting that uh, Jacob uh, has a lot of different meanings. One of them that stood out to me was changeling. Uh, you remember uh, how Jacob got his blessing and how Jacob got his wealth? See, Jacob and Esau were twins, and Esau came out first, and Jacob came out, and he was grasping onto his brother's heel, the Bible says, all the way out, and then they fought each other all their lives. And then when it came time for their father to give his blessing, the blessing rightly would go to Esau, because he was the oldest son, but Jacob tricked his father, he was a changeling, he tricked his father into giving him the blessing instead, and he stole it from his brother. But then later... After Jacob wrestles with an angel and then comes face to face with God, God changes his name to Israel, which means he who prevails with God. These are all symbolic of the change that happens to us when we accept Christ, when we devote ourselves to Christ, when we become obedient to God and we choose that direction in our lives. We become someone else, someone that's never existed before, who is who is, who is unique, just as Jesus was unique. And then the last one you see there, Simon Bar-Jonah to Peter. That's uh, uh, when uh, Jesus is asking his disciples, well, who, who, do you, who do people say I am? And they're like, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a prophet Elijah. Some say you're this guy. Some say um, this, that, and the other thing. And, then, and Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? And, you know, they kind of all look at each other. Peter, he jumps out and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies back to him, he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon was his name. Bar means son of Jonah. Jonah was his father's name. That's the name that he went by until pretty much this moment. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for your flesh and blood and other people haven't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And from this day forward, your name shall be called Peter, which means the rock. <laughs> Never mind. Um, I'm not going there. I did that last time. Okay. means the rock, right? So here's, here's Peter. I, I, I didn't go look up what Simon means or what Jonah means. There's probably some implication there. But Jesus is saying, whatever that was before, whoever you were before, because this truth has now been revealed to you, because Peter has made the confession you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I, we could maybe call Peter the first professed Christian in the Bible. Jesus says, yeah. Guess what? You're a new creation. You're going to be somebody you've never been before. You're going to be a rock. You're going to build a church on people just like you. Yeah. It should be what happens to us. We may not get a name change, but we definitely get a heart change. We should. All right, so let me tell you three stories. Throw up that next slide. Times. All right, I'll go quick. I'm look at my notes. All right, we're almost there. So uh, one time I was in the church office, and I got a, got a phone call on my intercom. One of the secretaries in the office downstairs said, uh, can you come down here? This guy needs to talk to a pastor, and you're the only one here. And this happened to me a lot, by the way. Um, there were three other pastors on staff, and somehow it would be my phone that would ring. They said, nobody else is here, but you're here. And so I go down, and there's this young man standing 
in the hallway outside the office, and he's soaking wet because outside it's pouring rain, just buckets and buckets. Um, he's got long, uh, blonde, stringy hair, it's all hanging down. Black jacket, black shirt, black pants, um, which at one time seemed odd, but that's almost what I wear all the time now, anyway. So uh, it's not as odd as it used to be. But I walked in and I said, hey, how are you doing? I stuck out my hand and I said, I'm Tracy. And he, he stepped back from me like this and he said, he said, I'm David. I worship the devil and I need help. I went, well, okay, well, that's, that's a different introduction. I happened to be at the time, God had me working with a lot of people involved in witchcraft and the occult. And, and, I, and later I could see the wisdom of it, but it, it was kind of strange. And about that time, this young man named Jesse Martinez was walking by and he, was, he had just surrendered to ministry. He was a real powerhouse kind of guy. I said, Jesse, come in here. He said, let's uh, come help me talk to this guy. So we went into this office. Um, the three of us sat uh, in chairs facing each other, and we just talked, and I just asked him to tell me his story. And, uh, and he told me a, a lot of uh, crazy things. He told me a lot of terrible things that he had done. He told me how uh, he had been down on, on his luck, and even though he's raised in a Christian home, uh, he uh, was involved with a bunch of bad people. And one day he just decided that he was so angry at God that he turned his face towards, towards evil and he said, he said, whatever you are, whoever you are, devil, I just invite you into my life to take over my life and I'm going to follow you because God has is, God is abandoned me. And he said, he said, I was, I was possessed at that moment. And I said, well, what brought you here today? He said, I don't know. He said, I was out walking, going to try and find the next place that I could either get some drugs or some alcohol. And, uh, and I was walking down the street, and I saw the church, and he said, as I passed by the entrance to the, to the parking lot, he said, I just felt this power begin to draw me in towards the door. He said, I didn't know what I was going to do. And he said, first, when I started walking towards those big glass doors, he said, I thought I was going to come in, and maybe I was going to trash the place, because that's the kind of thing somebody like me would do in a church, is they'd come in and they'd trash the place. He said, but, and I walked in the door, and he said, I was there in the foyer, and it was a big building. You didn't really know where to go if you didn't know where to go. And he said, and then I just... I turned down the hallway and I, I came in this door and I saw that woman sitting there. And I said, I told her the same thing I told you that I'm, I'm David, I'm possessed by the devil and I need help. And she said, I know somebody who can help. And so she called me. And I said, well, What do you want to happen today? He said, I want to be free. He said, I, I, don't, I don't want to live for the enemy anymore. I want to be free and I want to do what's right. And I said, Okay. So I shared with him the gospel. He had heard it before because he grew up in a Christian home. I shared with him the gospel, the things that we shared with you last week and we'll continue to share over the next few weeks. And I said, uh, what do you want to do uh, now? I said, do you want to pray? He said, yeah. I said, now I could lead you in a prayer or you could pray yourself. And he said, he said, you lead me because I don't really know what to say. And so I began to lead him through some different things about breaking these chains of bondage and renouncing uh, his oath to the devil and, and these kinds of things. And then we got down to the very end and I said, now the last thing that we need to do, David, is to seal all of that together as we have to, we have to pray it in the name that matters more than most. The Bible tells us that it's the name of Jesus that saves us, that it, it, there's no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. And I said, so I want you to pray after me in the name of Jesus. And we're sitting in this little corner office and uh, we got just a lamp on and there's some curtains on the windows, actually my dad's office that we were in. It's kind of dark in there. Um, and so he, he goes, in the name of and his face just twisted up like this. And it was like, uh, it was like he was under great strain to try and say this, to, to spit this out. 
And Jesse and I had, had both had our heads down, and then we both looked up at him, you know, we saw him, and, and his, his whole body in that chair was just tensed. And I said, I said, come on, David, you gotta say it. And so he tried again, and then he was, and, he, and he's just, face was turning red, his muscles were bulging out, he's starting to sweat. And I said, come on, Jesse's over here, man, he's got, the, he's got the Bible out, he's just reading Psalms, man, he's just reading them straight down the page as loud as he can, he's kind of freaking out. And I said, come on, David, you gotta pray. Say the name of Jesus. And he finally says, Jesus! And he spits it out, and I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Something moved through that room. Some force, some power is the presence of God. The, the curtains, I'm, I'm not making this up, the curtains shift like this, like there was a wind that went through there. And it was like the room brightened for a moment. And then it went down. And then and David's just sitting there. He's got his head in his, head in his hands. And I'm wondering what's going to happen next. And he sat up. And his countenance, his, his face had changed miraculously. I couldn't believe I was looking at the same person who had walked in an hour before. There was this light in his eyes. There was, he was, I, I don't even know how to describe it. He, he looked pleasant. He looked happy. Uh, he looked released. And I, and I said, man, what happened? He said, it's gone. He said, whatever that was, it's gone. And he, he jumped up and he started laughing. And he ran over and he started hugging us. And he's like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, and we're kind of laughing. He said, he said, can I make a phone call? I said, sure. <laughs> Who do you want to call? He said, I want to call my uncle because he's the first person that ever shared Jesus with me. And he needs to know what happened to me right now. I'm like, boy, this is biblical. Um, you find Jesus, and the next thing you want to do is you want to go tell somebody else, man. I said, you bet. So we picked up the phone, and he put it on speakerphone, and his, his uncle answered, and his uncle had been praying for him, and, and it was just thrilling. David then, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, he became a different person. The next time he came into church, walked into church, which was next, the next Sunday, he's still wearing pretty much the same clothes because that's all he had, but he was a different person. And he began to grow as a Christian, as a believer, and to learn the Bible, and to know the Bible, and to know how to share his faith with other people. It was miraculous. And that's not the only time I've seen that. These other two stories, Fritz the drunk guy, same church. Uh, he almost drove his truck through the front doors of the church. I was in the auditorium uh, playing the piano, getting ready for the worship service. And, uh, and he came in, he came in to pick a fight with me. I, don't, I didn't even know this guy. But once again, here I'm the only one around, and I'm in the auditorium, and here he comes, and he was a big guy. He was tall, and he was rough. He was a contractor, painter guy, and he came in. He's got his work clothes on. He's got paint all over him, cussing up a storm. He comes barreling down the aisle, and I, I came down off the platform down the stage and, and met him there in front of the stage, and, uh, and he, he reared back to hit me, and I said, I said, if you take a swing at me, I'm going to knock you out. He kind of backed up. He said, Aren't you a preacher? I said, yeah. He said, you're not supposed to talk like that. I said, I'm not going to let you hit me. <laughs> and so he sat down on the front pew, and we talked for about an hour. The secretary had heard the commotion at the front, and she'd come in and seen him coming barreling down the aisle, and she called the police. And so they were on their way, and I, and I told him, I said, you know, she's, she's called the police, and they're going to come, and they're going to they're gonna take you out of here and get you some help. He'd lost his job, last contract. He lost his wife, he thought. Uh, she told him that she didn't want to be married anymore. 
He said, all I, all I know how to do is get in the bottom of a bottle. That's all I, that's all I know how to do to, to deal with anything in my life. He said, and I'm just lost. I'm a wreck. And I told him, I said, uh, I said, listen, I want to talk to you more, but I want to talk to you when you're sober. And, uh, and the police had just showed up then, and I said, now these guys are going to take you. I don't want you to fight them. Give me the keys to your truck. I'm going to go park your truck out here in the parking lot. And, and I'll check up on you in a couple of days. Here's my number. If you can call me between now and then, you call me. You let me know. And so he, he did. He went with them. And I didn't see him. The truck disappeared a couple of days later, and I didn't see him for weeks. And I thought, well, that was a weird thing. And a few weeks later, walking to church, and here comes Fritz walking down the aisle. And he's, he's holding the hand of, of this woman, and he, he makes a beeline for me again, right? Except there's a bunch of people around this time. We're at church. He comes walking in, and again, he's transformed. He's a transformed man. He comes in, he says, he says, Preacher, I'm so glad you called the police because they helped me uh, get sober to where I could think straight. He said that I talked to a friend of mine and he shared with me the gospel and I accepted Jesus the other day and I want you to know that's changed my life and it put my marriage back together already. He said, I haven't wanted to drop to drink since, since, since the day I asked Jesus into my life. And then Fritz stayed around that church for years, serving in that church, came in one day and, and the auditorium was about twice this size and here's Fritz just painting the walls all by himself. He painted that entire auditorium. He said, this is what I know how to do. This is how I know how to serve. But it was transformation. It was real. Now, some of us don't come from, from rough, hard, scrabble lives like that. We might, not, we might say, well, I don't have a testimony like that. I don't have a testimony like that. I grew up in a good home. Uh, parents stayed together until my mother passed away. Uh, we went to church all the time. We were a good Christian family. I accepted Christ when I was eight. But listen, friends, I can tell you that over the course of my life, I believe that I can see that God has continually been moving in me to be a new creation and not be some old man that I could be. My dad's an example of that. He's the last example. He was wrapped up in his career in the military, and uh, he was stationed on the island of Shimia in the Aleutian Chains in 1964, and a guy shared the gospel with him. My dad uh, was drinking, smoking, cussing, all that kind of stuff. You know, look, that's, that's, that's just life, right? He wasn't some uh, crazy guy. He wasn't out there being a terrible person. He was just living that kind of life. And then he got saved. Immediate transformation. He was a new creation in that moment. All right, so it can happen. So, final point. What if you think of all these things? What if there's no evidence? Uh, what, if, what if someone says they're a Christian, but there's no evidence? And I'm talking about you. What if you say you're a Christian, but there's no evidence? There is no transformation. There's no new creation. There's no um, regeneration. You haven't really been born again, or you don't see it in your life. I would suggest to you that you really need to do some serious thinking and some serious conversation with God about whether you are truly a believer. We say this all the time here. Uh, I'll, I'll send you out sometimes. I'll say, uh, we've, we've taught on this thing. We've given you this truth. Now, go live like, it, go live like it's true. Go live like it matters. Guys, if you're calling yourselves a Christian, but your life bears no remarkable difference from people who hate Christ or don't claim Christ, I would suggest to you that there's, there's a disconnect there somewhere. One of the principles of being a Christian is to be set apart from the world, to be different. Because... 
because the world has a natural distaste and a natural hate for the things that are holy. Those are tough words, right? But there's some scripture to go with that. Let's go to that next slide. What if there's no evidence? John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. It's that same thing. You must be born first of water, right? Flesh. And then be born of the spirit. He's not saying that they weren't born. He's saying that they now have, they have given their allegiance not to their flesh, not to their earthly birth, but to a spiritual birth. And the part that I want you to focus on, it says, so if you believe, it says, but to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And so my question to you would be, how does a child of God behave? Does a child of God behave just like those who are lost in lawless, lawlessness do? Those who are, who are captivated by sin? Should there be a difference in the way that those who say that they are children of God live their lives in the world where we are? I would say yeah. If there's no difference, what's the point? So secondly, next slide. Um, uh, James, right, two. Uh, starting in verse 14, actually. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now remember we talked last week about how our salvation is by grace alone. We can't work for it. But there's a principle at play here, which is, if we have received that salvation, the natural result of that should be good works, a righteous life, the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, loving kindness, self-control, right, patience, all, all those things. Those should be the natural result of that new birth. This is who we're growing up into. So, someone might say, so if we, if we say that we have a faith, I'm a Christian, but they never do anything that resembles the works of a Christian. Can you really depend on that faith that they've expressed? Can they, can you depend on your faith that you express if you have nothing that shows any evidence that you are a child of God? Uh, and he uses an example. He says, it's like this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled without giving them clothing or food, or food, right? Without giving them what they need, what good is that? Um, it's hypocritical, really, is what it is. It's, it's like the guy who stands on the street corner in the one story and says, oh God, I'm so glad I'm not a sinner like that guy over there. It sounds righteous, but it's really not. It's not good. So he says in verse 17, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
That's a pretty emphatic statement. If you say that you have faith in Christ, but you have no works that resemble that, the writer here is saying that faith is dead. It's done you no good. Because true faith should result in true change, true rebirth, true new creation. He says, but someone will say, look, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. What he's saying is, okay, so somebody will say, well, of course I have faith. And he'll say, well, prove it. Well, I have faith. How do you know? Well, because I have it. And he says, that's you. He says, what I'll do is I won't even talk about my faith. But I'm going to go and feed the poor and help the widows, help the sick, share my faith. He says, I won't even talk about my faith, but you're going to see by the way that I work that my faith is real. See, faith without works is dead. Verse 20, he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? What he's saying there is not that you've got to work your way into your salvation. What he's saying is that your salvation, that gift that you receive if you really commit yourself to Christ, will result in a transformational change that turns you into the kind of person whose faith works itself out in front of the world all the time. In every part of your life. And then finally, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now some people will take this verse and say, Ah, oh, see, see, you got to work for your salvation. No, no, that's not what he's saying. If you look at the, the, the construct of the language here, if you look in the original, what it's saying is here is it's saying... Salvation in this context is something that you have received. It is present. You have it. You possess it. It has been given to you. It can't be taken away from you. It's not something that you're working for in this context. You have it. Okay, so think of that. I have my salvation. Now he says, now do something with it. Do something. Work it out. It's not figuring it out. It means... Go and do. Go and be someone who, who has been saved. Go and live like someone who has the truth of Christ active in their lives. And if you couple that with the other ones that we looked at, you have to be willing to ask yourself a question. If then I say that I'm a Christian, I say that I have this salvation, but I'm doing nothing that reflects work or good works or effort in my community, in my life, in my family, uh, among my friends that reflects that, do I have a faith that's useless? And do I need to be born again? Would you stand with me for closing prayer? I'm just going to give you a second. To think that question through. Ask yourself this question. Do I have a faith that is useful or useless? 
And the measure of that is, when I think that I followed Christ, did anything about me change? And am I now today, even if it's just a little bit, am I now today, more than yesterday, living more like someone who's been reborn in the shape of Christ? Or am I still living like the rest of the world does that knows nothing of it? And if the answer is the second, I'd be praying right now that the Holy Spirit would draw you to Him, that He'd be speaking to your heart right now, convicting you of that, and that you would see your need to be born again. And so I'll ask you to just bow your heads and say, just this moment right now, is there anyone in here this morning that would raise their hand and say, I need to be born again? Amen. Thank you. I see anyone else? Amen. I see you. If that's you, then I, I want you to pray this for yourself. These are, these are the components that you, can, that you confess who Jesus is, that, that He is God. He is the way for salvation. And it is only belief in Him by which you can be saved. You pray that you just confess to God, I recognize my sin and that it separates me from you. And I want to be made whole with you by believing in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Pray out to Him. In doing so, I'm inviting you, I'm inviting you, God, to fill me with your Holy Spirit, to make me a new creation, a creation that lives for you and with you. I invite you, Lord, to be the Savior and Lord of my life. And I'm willing to live that life for you. Thank you for saving me. Now, grow me. Thank you for loving me saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning when we're finished here, I want you to come and talk with me and let's have a conversation, alright? And, uh, and I want to share that with you. Alright, you may be seated for just